0: Hey listening family, recently I preached a message on stop the slander in our congregation. Man, there was quite a response because all of us want to understand what slander is. We don't want to do it because we've all been slandered before and we know how much it hurts. Well, in the message that morning, we used a graphic with a stop sign with the word slander and a line going through it. Stop the slander. What is slander? Are we doing it? As it happened to us? How can we overcome it? How can we measure our motives when we're speaking about somebody and ask the questions that we need to ask about whether it's fruitful and whether it's glorifying to God? We'll find out more about that today on
1: Walk in Truth. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. James says, don't speak,
0: don't run each other down, James 4.11. Because if you do, you have become a judge of the law. You are not a doer of the law. You've become a judge of it. There is only, verse 12, James 4, one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you who judge your neighbor? Turn over to Psalm 50. Psalm 50. We're going to be bouncing around this morning in our Bibles, but it's going to be good. Psalm 50. Take a look at verse 16 of Psalm 50. Many of the Psalms are honest Christ to God for help, repentance, uh, cheering our souls. But here's what Psalm 50 verse 16 says. But to the wicked, God says, what right have you to tell of my statutes, to take my covenant in your mouth? Psalm 50, verse 17 For you hate discipline, you cast my words behind you. When you see a thief, you are pleased with him, and you associate with adulterers. You, you let your mouth loosen evil, your tongue frames deceit. You sit, Psalm 50, verse 20, and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. These things you have done, and I kept silence. You thought that I was just like you. I will reprove you and state the case in order before your eyes. Can you imagine how many unbelievers will appear before God on Judgment Day? And they won't have one thing to say, because just one week of their mouth alone will condemn them. How about one hour of their mouth? How about one minute? How about one second sometimes? Because... Jesus put it this way. Every careless word that a person utters, he will give an account for on the day of judgment. Did you hear that? Every careless word. I need a Savior. (laughs) I'm not reading the book of James anymore. I'm going to close the book of James and just say, I need a Savior. Okay, James, I'm convinced. But I think James, through the power of the Holy Spirit, knows that this is a problem that doesn't end at the church doors. Paul says in 2 Corinthians twelve twenty, I am afraid that perhaps when I come, I may find you to be not what I wish. I may fi- find you to be not what I wish, that perhaps there may be strife and jealousy, anger, tempers, disputes, slanders, gossip, arrogance, disturbances. I'm afraid that when I come again, my God may humiliate me before you. And I may mourn over you, over many of those who have sinned in the past and not repented. Chuck Smith tells a story. He said uh, he was in the church office and he got a telephone call from a woman and she uh, said, you know, my husband and I have been coming to the church for years and I believe that Chuck knew the man and my husband has left me and he's, he's with another woman and I want you to go talk to him. And so Chuck agreed and he was driving over to the place that this now, this man who was married is now shacked up with another woman And so he arrived and he knocked on the door and the man opened the door and he was disheveled. And this woman that he was cheating with, you know, kind of looked out and she was disheveled. It was a cheap apartment downtown and he sat down on the couch and, and the the man was very sheepish, you know, to know that Pastor Chuck was at his house and what he was up to. And they sat down on the couch and Chuck said he had been praying that he would be able to share the right thing to waken this guy up. And he said, as he began to try to open his mouth, all he could do was cry. He said he started going on babbling like a little baby. <laughs> and he was crying. And he said he, and he would try to say something. He'd just start crying again. And finally he said, I'm sorry. I, I, I can't bring it together. I, I, I got to go. And he said he just walked out of the man's house and he left after crying in front of him for five or ten minutes. Got in his car and felt like a complete failure. He said, here I am a pastor, and I I was supposed to share some pearl of wisdom in this man's sinful rebellion to God, and all I could do was cry like a little baby. What a failure I am as a pastor. Until he got a telephone call that the next day the man had gone home. Because the Lord had used the broken heart of Chuck Smith and his tears to send all the message that that man needed to hear. See, even the brokenness of his mourning and tears was the Holy Spirit. And if you're like me, sometimes I look at my own heart. I look at the world. I look at how people run each other down. And all I want to do, frankly, is cry. All I want to do is cry. And I wonder in heaven when God looks. And when the Bible says that we can grieve the Holy Spirit who is in us, who sealed us all the way to the day of redemption. Look, we belong to Christ if we're Christians. But this goes on far too much. 1 Peter 2, 1 and 2 says, Put them all aside, malice, guile, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. And like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word, that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Colossians 3.8 says, Now put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech. And again, in Colossians 3, the same as in 1 Peter and in Ephesians, if you turn back to the book of James, the solution is putting on the new man. Putting on the new man. Putting on a new mouth. <laughs> you see, a new heart, by the power of the Holy Spirit, should manifest it, self and a new mouth. But I'm still wrestling between the flesh and the spirit as a Christian. I still have a part of me that's not been fully experiencing the full redemption. I'm redeemed, but someday I'm going to get a new body. And I think it's going to include a new tongue. Amen. I think it's going to include a new mouth. And this challenge will be over. And it's a challenge for us. Look, let's be honest. It's a challenge. It's hard. Just like all the a negative fruits of the flesh, if they were easy to overcome, nobody would be struggling. But James exposes yet another area where it can be something that we don't put on the top of the most terrible sins in Scripture, and yet they are a direct uh, breaking of the royal law. James 4, verse 12. Now you know why we're only doing two verses. It says, there is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy, but who are you who judge your neighbor? Here's Gordon MacDonald in a sermon, Feeling as God Feels. One time, 20 years or so ago, I was in Japan on a speaking tour with a close personal friend. He was a number of years older than I was. As we walked down the street in Yokohama, Japan, the name of a common friend came up. And as I said something unkind about that person, it was sarcastic, it was cynical, it was a put-down. My older friend stopped, turned, and faced me until his face was right in front of mine. And with deep, slow words, he said, Gordon, a man who says he loves God would not say a thing like that about a friend. He could have put a knife into my ribs, and the pain would not have been any less. But you know something? There have been 10,000 times in the last 20 years that I've been saved from making a jerk of myself. When I've been tempted to say something unkind about a brother or sister, I hear my friend's voice saying, Gordon, a man who says he loves God would not speak in such a way about a friend. It stopped me. That confrontation has stopped me 10,000 times. That's why I need God's word. That's why I need to be confronted with my own sin. Because oftentimes after the mirror of God's word shows me who I am, I can make adjustments. I can wash in the right place. I can say, Lord, I need help over here. Help me in this area. Because there's only one lawgiver and judge. And to use some loose English, you ain't him. And think about it. When we run down brothers and sisters, we are running down those who have been blood-bought by the Savior, adopted into his family, loved with an everlasting love. And if we don't realize that they are a fellow child of God, a brother and sister in Christ Jesus, then we can put ourselves on a pedestal and be saying something about a child of God that he would never say about them himself. And if he did correct them, it would be only his right to do so. And so... In essence, we are putting ourselves in the place of God when we do this kind of thing, when we run others down. And so James, again, is not saying there's, there's not a need for honest judgment, but he is saying there's no place for this censorious running down of others. Here's a list I put in my notes. Are there certain principles that we can apply to know what to say, when, and when not to say? what not to say. Number one, is it true? Do I know for sure? Number two, is sharing this information necessary? Number three, will it help? Number four, what's my motive for saying this right now? If I search my motive before I open my mouth, oftentimes I'll stop right there. Number five, am I saying this to make this person look bad? 5B, so I can look good? Am I saying this because I have bitterness, jealousy, envy, or I just really don't like this person? Have I followed the biblical mandate of Matthew 18 to go to them in private if I have an issue with them? Instead of me talking about them, have I gone to them and tried to resolve the situation? What's a legitimate use of judging? Well, to be a watchman. Ezekiel 33, 7 through 9, to warn brothers and sisters. Hey, listening family, this is Pastor Michael. I want to tell you a little bit about a college that we have going. It's called the Truth Academy. It meets at Living Truth Christian Fellowship in the city of Corona, and it's an apologetic school with also an emphasis on theology. Do you want to grow in your faith? Do you want to be more equipped to share your faith in the public square? Well, this school will help you. And here's Joe Kelly, the director of the Truth Academy, to tell you more.
1: Thank you, Pastor Michael. Boy, has there ever been a time where the need has been greater for God's people to know what they believe and why they believe it? Well, the Truth Academy is here to help the believer contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So I would encourage our listeners, Pastor Michael, to go online to thetruthacademy.com. Take a look, see what we have to offer. Our classes are available either in person if you live in Southern California or if you want to take a class online, that's available too. You can learn from the comfort of your own home. Once again, that's thetruthacademy.com. We look forward to having you as a student in the near future.
0: Thanks, Joe. That's exciting news. Thetruthacademy.com to give reasons for faith, reasons for hope in our culture. Man, it's so desperately needed. Check it out today, thetruthacademy.com. Number three, will it help? Number four, what's my motive for saying this right now? If I search my motive before I open my mouth, oftentimes I'll stop right there. Number five, am I saying this to make this person look bad? 5B, so I can look good? Am I saying this because I have bitterness, jealousy, envy, or I just really don't like this person? Have I followed the biblical mandate of Matthew 18 to go to them in private? If I have an issue with them, instead of me talking about them, have I gone to them and tried to resolve the situation? What's a legitimate use of judging? Well, to be a watchman, Ezekiel 33, 7 through 9. To warn brothers and sisters. To warn people of hell. That's legitimate. To warn people against false teaching, Acts 20 27 through 31, Paul warns the Ephesian elders. Matthew seven, fifteen, Jesus says, Beware of false prophets. In 2 Timothy two, seventeen and eighteen, Paul names Hymenaeus and Philetus as false teachers who are destroying the body. In 2 Timothy four, fourteen and fifteen, he names Alexander the coppersmith, who did Paul much harm in opposing his teaching. He names Alexander and Hymeneus in first Timothy one, nineteen and twenty. So there is a proper judgment. But if the motive is to protect and warn, that's one thing. But not to run somebody down as simply a sport. So the ultimate form of slander could be to speak negatively or run somebody down, or worse yet, condemn them when they're right in the sight of God. I've got two Old Testament passages and we're done. And all God's people said, thank you, Lord. (laughs) Numbers 12. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Here's Numbers 12. And as you turn there, Psalm 78, 19 says, Then they spoke against God, did Israel. And they said, Can God prepare a table in the wilderness? And many of you know, as you read the Old Testament, you sometimes find yourself shaking your head. You read about Israel and you say, No, they're not going to do it again, are they? They're not going to do it again. (laughs) Yeah, they are caravans back to Egypt. He just brought us out here to kill us in the desert. <laughs> Here's Numbers 12, verse 1. Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, has the Lord indeed only, spoken only through Moses, Numbers 12:2. Has he not spoken through us as well? You might want to note this. And the Lord heard it. Now, the man Moses was very humble, more than any man who was on the face of the earth. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and Aaron and to Miriam, the Hebrew says, come into my office. You three come out to the tent of meeting. So the three of them came out. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the doorway of the tent. He called Aaron and Miriam When they had both come forward, he said, hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, shall make myself known to him in a vision. I shall speak with him in a dream, not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my household. With him I speak mouth to mouth, even openly and not in dark sayings. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant, against Moses. It's amazing that God had Moses' back. And so the anger of the Lord burned against them, and he departed. But when the cloud had withdrawn from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous, as white as snow. As Aaron turned toward Miriam, behold, she was leprous, or full of leprosy. And then Aaron said to Moses, O my Lord, I beg you, do not account this sin to us, in which we have acted foolishly, and in which we have sinned. "'Oh, do not let her be like one dead, "'whose flesh is half eaten away "'when he comes from his mother's womb.' "'And Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, "'Oh God, heal her, I pray.' "'But the Lord said to Moses, "'If her father had but spit in her face, "'would she not bear her shame for seven days? "'Let her be shut up for seven days outside the camp, "'and afterwards she may be received again.' And "'So Miriam was shut up outside the camp for seven days.' The people did not move on until Miriam was received again. We could take it there that she was healed. And afterward, however, the people moved out from Hazaroth and camped in the wilderness of Paran. Turn to Numbers 21. Numbers 21. Here's another familiar story. um, And we'll move towards the solution. Numbers 21, verse 4. Then the children of Israel, they set out from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the people became impatient because of the journey. Numbers 21, 5. Impatience often leads to stupid words said. Amen. (laughs) And the people spoke against God and Moses, and they said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food and no water, and we loathe this miserable food. I hate manna! Hate it! You can have it. Feed it to the animals, but I'm not having it for one more meal. And so they spoke these words, and the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many of Israel died. I think God said, you want a backbite? Okay, here you go. We'll do some biting. And so the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned because we have spoken against the Lord and you intercede with the Lord that he may remove the serpents from us. And Moses interceded for the people. If there were snakes around my camp, I would be praying like I never prayed before. I hate snakes. I'm like Indiana Jones. I hate them. Then the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a standard And it shall come about that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he shall live. Moses made a bronze serpent, set it on the standard, and it came about that if a serpent bit any man, when he looked to the bronze serpent, he lived. What in the world does this mean? Well, I told you two more passages, but I got to show you one more. (laughs) Go over to John 3. I want to leave you with some good news. Here's John chapter 3. So Jesus is dialoguing with Nicodemus. He's telling him, you got to be born again of the Holy Spirit. This is John 3, verse 9. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? Truly, truly, John three eleven. I say to you, we speak that which we know and bear witness of that which we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I told you earthly things and you don't believe them, how shall you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven but he who descended from heaven, even the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man, that's Jesus, be lifted up. That whoever believes in him, whoever believes may in him have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world should be saved through him. Here's the image. Israel in the wilderness has been snake bitten by their own sin and their own tongue. And even though they saw all these mighty miracles and had the privilege of the Redeemer taking them out of Egypt with a mighty hand, they spent much of their time in the wilderness complaining, backbiting, blaming God and blaming Moses. Moses was their deliverer, and he had become now the one that they blamed. And they were making judgments and they were running down Moses, and they were running down God, and God said, I've had enough. And he sent the fiery serpents, and they began to bite the people, and people died. And the solution became a serpent that was raised up in the wilderness, and all a person had to do was, if they got bit by the serpent's bite, was just look to it, and they would what? They would live. And all of us have been bit with the serpent's bite of sin and death. And the venom has crept into us. And it's deadly. And we've seen the fruit of it. And 2,000 years ago, God sent his son in the likeness of human flesh to come and live among snake-bit people. And to be raised up on a cross and to die there, though he was innocent, that anyone who would look to him would be saved. And many people won't look and they'll die in their sin because they think, ah, that venom's not going to kill me. I'm fine. I'm good. I don't need him. And the book of James says, you need a savior. You need Jesus. And God demonstrated his love for me and you in this, that while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. He put his love on display at the cross. And I've been bit by the snake and I've done my fair amount of biting others. But my sin debt was paid in full at the cross. Praise the Lord. Oh, what a Savior. Jesus Redeemer. That precious blood that ran down Calvary's cross cleanses me from every sin I've ever committed. I am so grateful. So encouraged, so glad that he dealt with my sin in full at the cross. God's word will expose the blemishes. God's son washes them all away. Hey, listening family, this is Pastor Michael. I want to tell you a little bit about a college that we have going it's called the Truth Academy. It meets at Living Truth Christian Fellowship in the city of Corona, and it's an apologetic school with also an emphasis on theology. Do you want to grow in your faith? Do you want to be more equipped to share your faith in the public square? Well, this school will help you. And here's Joe Kelly, the director of the Truth Academy,
1: to tell you more. Thank you, Pastor Michael. Boy, has there ever been a time where the need has been greater for God's people to know what they believe and why they believe it? Well, the Truth Academy is here to help the believer contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So I would encourage our listeners, Pastor Michael, to go online to thetruthacademy.com. Take a look. See what we have to offer. Our classes are available either in person if you live in Southern California. Or if you want to take a class online, that's available too. You can learn from the comfort of your own home. Once again, that's thetruthacademy.com. We look forward to having you as a student in the near future.
0: Thanks, Joe. That's exciting news. thetruthacademy.com to give reasons for faith, reasons for hope in our culture. Man, it's so desperately needed. Check it out today, thetruthacademy.com.
1: Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Pastor Michael would love to hear from you. You can write him when you visit walkintruth.com.